We are continuing on in a series called A Picture of God, in which we have been looking at different teachings and, and, and kind of events in the life of the earthly life of Jesus, his ministry, and looking for ways that he sort of maybe gives us a new picture of the Father. He says pretty clearly that if we've seen him, then we have seen God. If we've seen him, then we've seen the Father. And, and one of the things I want to look at today, though, is probably a, a misperception that people have of God, or that maybe even you have of God, that of God being a, a legalistic, rule-keeping killjoy. That, that God is sitting in heaven looking down upon humanity, shaking his head in disappointment that people aren't keeping the rules better. This misperception and this misunderstanding, I would say, by the church, um, the church corporate, has led to, to churches and to people being legalistic themselves and self-righteous and a bunch of rule keepers uh, who then wag their fingers at people for not being good enough and keeping the rules well enough. And I think in getting a clearer picture of God and of ourselves, we can then be a different kind of people, that we don't need to be like that. And we can proclaim a picture of our God to the world that is both inviting and thought-provoking and by the power of the Spirit could be life-changing. And so we're going to be in, a book, in the book of Matthew. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Matthew 15. Uh, if you don't have that, there's some, some Bibles back there on the shelves uh, on the table as well. So probably like many of you, if you're anything like me, I, I have mixed emotions about rules and about standards. In some ways, I like rules and I find that they are necessary. In other ways, they irritate me and they complicate my life. Uh, when, when Jess goes away, when my wife goes away, and I'm left to be solely responsible for the kids, I kind of ramp up the rules, like, like I clamp down like a drill sergeant, and I get more rules. Recently, when she went away, uh, I put out three metal cups on the table, and I said, these are your cups for the week. Like, I'm not washing 16 glass cups at the end of the day. You each get one. Pick one now. You can wash it during the week if you want to, but this is the rule. Like, this is what we are going to live by. And for me to hold on to order, this is what I needed to do. So I, I ramped up the rules. And so in, in that way, I liked them. But in other ways, I was actually kind of happy that Jess was gone because it meant that I didn't have to worry about eating fresh vegetables. Like, I wasn't preparing meals. Like, we could go to Chick-fil-A if we wanted to over and over again. Like, and, and so in some ways, those rules and standards go go out the window. And you see, so we kind of have these complicated relationships with rules and standards. But what about you? I mean, do you like rules? Do you like standards? Are you a person that wishes there were more rules? Less rules? How do you feel about rules for you personally when someone else makes them? Do you find yourself making rules and standards for others to keep regularly? What about God? Does God have rules that he wants you to keep? Is he disappointed in you? Is, is the Bible just one big rule book that you need to make sure you adhere to? Is it the church's job to protect the rules, to hold the standard for people? Is God just waiting for you to get your act together and obey the rules so that he can be happy with you? Are you a Christian that feels like it's your job to get others to behave? What does Jesus have to say about rules? Is he all about the rules or is he all about love and grace and not being judgmental? Which is it? 
So you're not alone in trying to figure out how to respond to a holy God, to a perfect God. You're not alone in trying to figure out what to do with those innate feelings that you have inside of you that want to make rules, that want to have justice and standards for others to live by. But you're also not alone in that innate sense of rebellion that simultaneously wants to throw off rules and, and to get rid of them. This is a mix of in all of us, and we all have to deal with this. And so we're going to look at kind of two, what I would say, two common responses to a holy God uh, through the life of Jesus. We're going to look at Matthew 15. Uh, your subtitle probably says clean and unclean or something like that. Listen to, what this, listen to what Matthew says. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, now it gets a little confusing here, and I'll go back to this. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. These are sort of Old Testament commands about how to respect your parents. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God or to the temple, he is not to honor his father. He doesn't have to go through with honoring his father. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus then called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this, Jesus? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So what is going on here? Like there's, there's these stories about caring for your parents and people falling into pits. Like what is happening here? And I would say in this story, it's kind of classic religious legalism. Sometimes I use the word religion just to say sort of empty religious behavior. And that's kind of what's happening here at its finest. So to understand what's happening here, you kind of need to remember a little bit of the backstory. We've talked about this in the recent weeks. This group of people called Pharisees and teachers is actually a a group of leaders and men from from Jerusalem who were well-meaning, but they were misguided. They they established themselves as sort of the gatekeepers for holiness in, in Israel. And they were like, they were the ones who were going to hold the standard so that they, so they were trying to keep people holy. It's not an altogether you know, bad cause, but the way they were going about it became distorted. So if you remember, when, when God freed the people and freed the Jews from their slavery in Egypt hundreds of years earlier, he had given them the Ten Commandments. You remember this? He frees them, and they go out to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the Ten Commandments, among other directions, about how to live holy lives now that they were free. Understand that. He freed them from Egypt, and then gave them standards to live by so they could remain free. Things like, don't steal. Don't murder, don't have affairs, and so on. He had, he had also set up ways that they were to interact with him, who was a holy God, and how they were to interact with one another. We've been talking about these over the last few weeks, right? That, that they were unclean or they were impure. They couldn't be near God's presence. They had to purify themselves so they could be near him. But here's the thing. They were a freed people. 
Remember this. They were already freed from slavery. They were with God and he was with them. It wasn't like they needed to do these things to win God's affection or they needed to get God's blessing of freedom and full life. They already had it. He had already freed them from their slavery. Well, after years of not really following God with their hearts, of doing these empty religious behaviors, but not really trusting and following God with their hearts, he allowed them to be carried into exile. And the presence of God left the temple, and the people were, were disappointed and sad that God was no longer with them. So these, these group of Pharisees and teachers rose up and said, if we just obey these rules and laws and standards, then God will come back. Then he will come back, and he will love us, and he will care for us, and he will fill the temple again with his glory, and, and it's going to be great. And so they took the laws, and they interpreted them, and they reinterpreted them, and they made them more and more difficult and more and more rigorous ways to Sabbath, how to wear clothing, what they could do on certain days, how to do sacrifices, how to stay pure in the midst of a dirty Gentile world, but all in an attempt to get God to bless them again, doing these external behaviors. So now these Pharisees come to Jesus who's gaining a following. They're calling him rabbi, which is another word for teacher. They're calling him teacher, and he's starting to gain status with the masses. And they come to him, and and they say, you're breaking one of our commands, one of our traditions, Jesus. He wasn't forcing his disciples to wash their hands. Like, after they came from the marketplace, they're like, Jesus, they're supposed to be washing their hands. This is one of the commands, this is one of the traditions that we have raised up for the people. So they question Jesus about this, and he goes after them for breaking a command of God. They question him for breaking a tradition. He goes after them for breaking a command of God for the sake of their tradition. Now, what the heck is he talking about? He goes on to explain that that back uh, when God had made commands uh, in the Ten Commandments, that they started to interpret these and reinterpret them, and they'd come up with with a, a law of their own that said that if If a person, if a man wanted to set aside his estate or his wealth and dedicate it to the temple upon his death, that he could do so. And all of his wealth would go to the temple. But what it did was it freed him from having to use his money to do other things during his life because it's set aside for the temple. It's going to the temple someday. And so if his parents were aging and in need, he didn't have to care for them anymore. Can you see the ridiculousness of this? The Pharisees were saying, yep, he set it aside for the temple. He's going to give it to the temple, meaning also to them, so that he wouldn't have to care for his parents who were aging and in need, which breaks the fifth commandment. And Jesus is saying, you've raised up the value of this tradition, but you're actually breaking the command of God by doing so. This is ridiculous. And so he's kind of chastising them for that in response to their question. So listen, the leaders and the Pharisees, they meant well. Right? Like they were trying to honor God, they're trying to protect the people, but in so doing, they set up this law after law after law, which then, if they sensed someone was getting too close to the edges, that they would clamp down. They would show up from Jerusalem and say, You shouldn't be doing this. I mean, think about this with Jesus. Jesus feeds the 5,000 leading up to this, he, he walks on water. Then these guys come and track him down from Jerusalem, and they're like, Your disciples aren't washing their hands. Like, Like, think about the ridiculousness of this. They're not seeing God in action because they're so worried about this command, this this tradition that they had raised up. But they were meaning well. They were trying to stay pure. So, listen. Is there anything wrong with making an oath to give money to a nonprofit, to a church, to, to dedicate your estate to these things? Of course not. Like, if that's what God is leading you to do, do so. 
But, but they took these convictions and these noble ideas and, and they turned them into these traditions that they used to then put people back into slavery and would hold over their heads and, and even jail them. And we see in Jesus even crucify people if it looked like they weren't keeping the traditions the way that they should people, that, that they should have been. So uh, we do this, right? We, we make rules for ourselves. And we try to hold on to these traditions. And we try to think we're trying to get right with God. And I've done the same thing in my life. When I was a sophomore in high school, I, I wanted to get closer to God. Like, noble thing, right? I wanted to experience more of God. And I remember being, a, it was either like a youth event or a youth group talk where there was all this concern over kids listening to secular music. Okay, there's all this concern over kids listening to non-Christian music. And like, trust me, I had a whole bunch. And, uh, and I would listen to it all the time, and I loved it. And I felt like, okay, like if I want to get closer to God, clearly I can't have this, this impure secular music. Like, I, I got to get rid of this. So like, I got rid of my tapes. Like, like I'm dating myself like my BMG collection, like I got rid of this, this tape collection because I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to get close to God if I'm going to listen to these things. And listen, if you feel that in your life, then listen to the Spirit, okay? But in my life, it was all about legalism. So here's the thing. I get rid of all these tapes, and then what did I do? I immediately turned into a legalist and was like, none of you should be listening to secular music either. Like it then turns around and becomes legalism for everyone else. And so it was a noble cause in the beginning, and it turned into legalism and turned into me being self-righteous and making rules for everyone else to follow so they could get closer to God. This is the way religious legalism works, friends. We add rule upon rule. We hold it over people's heads, and, and then we make sure we sweep in from Jerusalem when we see somebody doing something a little too close to the line. We try to clamp down on people, and it often leads to self-righteousness and being judgmental and Honestly, this is the state of the church in America and why so many people have walked away from it and what we're so well known for. Thousands of people call themselves saved and have been born again and are free from religion and free from works. Christians being, you know, claiming to be freed from the penalty of sin, but actually still living totally shackled to it by trying to avoid it at all costs, by making all these rules that they need to obey and these standards that people need to live by so that God isn't mad at them. They make rule after rule and tradition after tradition trying to hold to some standard out there. It's like, it's like the hyper parent that makes rule after rule trying to protect their kids but is then devoid of love or grace or mercy. And it misses the foundational command of God to love. So Jesus responds to these religious legalists and their accusations about purity laws by talking to the crowds there. And he says, listen. What goes into a man's mouth is not what makes him unclean. Basically saying, you can eat, drink, do whatever you want. Like that, That's not what makes you unclean. And the disciples come to him and they're like, uh, hey boss, like, the Pharisees are mad. This is, this is bad. We actually kind of want them on our side. These are the guys with political and religious authority. You've made them mad by saying we don't need to obey these traditions anymore. What does Jesus say? Leave them. They're blind guides. Just, just leave them. So is Jesus saying there's no rules then? Is he saying there's no, there's no standard? People can just do whatever they want? Like if the Pharisees are the hyper parents with lots of rules, is, is Jesus the cool parent? Like is he the cool dad that lets their kids do whatever they want? Like drink, party in the house? Like it's fine? Like is, is Jesus that, that, you know, that parent now? To me, this brings me, if that's the first group in reaction to holiness is... Legalists. It brings me to another group, what I would call the humanist group. 
In the last 60 years in this country in particular, there's been this reaction to the, the hyper-conservatism and, and the, the puritanical rules of fundamentalism and the religious right and the moral majority. It's, it's made what many scholars have called culture wars as, these, as the humanists and the religious people have fought over and over again trying to keep rules uh, for one another. And so what we see on the humanist side is the people now saying, we don't need any rules. We don't need any rules at all. Everything is relative. You can do whatever you want. And this isn't a new argument by any means, it's, but it's certainly notable in our country. So, like I said, the humanist answer to, to a holy God is to say, the only rule we need is tolerance. The only rule we need is tolerance and for everyone just to not hurt anyone else. Right? If, if, if it's consensual, it's fine. Your way is your way. My way is my way. We don't need to make any rules about that. You just be you. I'll just be me. You follow your heart. I'll follow mine. Everything will be fine. You can hear my jadedness about this mentality, right? Jesus said, don't judge, so don't judge. There'll be no judging. Everything is tolerated. It's fine. Just don't hurt anyone. Now, listen to me. Like I have two responses to this almost immediately. And if, if you're like me, you probably feel the same way. By saying there's no standard, by saying there's no rules to live by, by saying any of this stuff, just use tolerance as your guide. You've now made a standard. Do you understand that? Like There is now a rule in place, and it's called tolerance. You've set a standard. Furthermore, it's a relative standard at best. It's relative. What you think should be tolerated might not be what I think should be tolerated. Right? Like This breaks down in the argument. Your standard might infringe upon my standard. Now listen, deep down, I think attempts at these things are because of a God-given and innate sense inside of us. We're made in God's image, so we're trying to find right and wrong. I think it comes from, again, comes from a noble place. And I think there are plenty of people who think this way who are doing amazing things in the world. Okay, so I'm not mocking an entire group of people saying, well, there's nothing good that can come out of them. Like, there are still people who think this way and still are amazing doctors and artists and and manufacturers and and parents. And, And so... They're still doing these amazing things because there's God's image still at work inside of them. And it's what I would call God's common grace in the world, kind of keeping things out of total chaos. But if we're honest, that way of thinking, that relativism, that that everything's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, leads again to a place of self-righteousness. It leads to a place of, I've got it, I'm making my own rules, everything's good. I'm in charge and we've now become self-righteous and judgmental again. So listen, the second reaction I have to sort of this no rules mentality is what I'd call common sense, okay? Like to me, it just doesn't work. The humanist way of going about life just doesn't work. It, it, people having no guidelines doesn't end well, right? We're so silly as a culture that we, we, we want to celebrate this idea, this mentality of freedom and tolerance, yet we have a government that passes over three and 400 laws every year. Like think about that. We have one, one side of things saying, yes, we want freedom and tolerance. In another way, we have politicians that need to make rules because things are still perilous, right? People still need to be kept in line or secured. Like, there's over 20,000 laws pertaining to weapons in this country. There's over 50, they tried to compile this a couple years ago. There's over 51 volumes of federal crimes. Like, 51 book after book after book of federal crimes. Because we still find that despite tolerance and freedom, we still need to make rules. Because people still act out and do these things that are unjust towards one another. We are innately selfish and self-serving, and I would say self-destructive, right? So the, the, the humanism leads to, in some ways, self-destruction. 
So there was this one time when, uh, I forget if Jess was home or not, but you can see there's a common thread here. If Jess isn't around, like, I suffer as a parent. Um, There was this night where I, I was trying to get our kids to go to bed, and they just wouldn't, like, they just wouldn't go to bed. And if you're a parent, you know this feeling of, like, just be quiet. And so I finally, I was like, you know what? I've had it. I'm done. I'm done parenting. I literally said that. I'm done parenting. You do whatever you want. Just have at it. You do whatever you want. I'm done trying to regulate. Do whatever you want. And, and, I, and I set them loose. I told them there were no rules. At first, there was confusion. Like, is this a trick? Like, what are you, what's happening here? Then there was, it was followed by joy and excitement and like Rammy behavior and like more ramped up craziness, followed by lots of tears and regret by all involved, including me. Like, it was like, what? Great. Oh my gosh. And it just crashed and burned. Because like when we don't have guidelines, like we are self-destructive and it ends in broken relationships and hurt and pain. And so Is Jesus really saying in this passage, leave them their blind guides? Is he really tossing out the rules? Is he really saying there's no standard? I just want to read something to you from Matthew 5. You don't have to turn there. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching all these these different things. And he says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to abolish these, he says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. So now what? Are we back to legalist Jesus? Like, is this now what we're back to? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you won't see heaven. Every letter of the law needs to be fulfilled. I'm sure when the Pharisees first heard Jesus say this, they were like, vindicated. Like, that's right. Every letter of the law needs to be fulfilled. And the common man was like, oh no. Like, I I don't stand a chance. If the Pharisees are barely going to squeak by and get in, like, I got nothing. I am no way going to get into heaven. I don't stand a chance. So when we come back to the main text for the day, we see Jesus sort of round out his thinking on law versus humanism and and what he thinks about the commands. We get to see the fuller picture that he's painting of our Father. Look back at uh, Matthew 15, 15. So Jesus says, leave them their blind guides Peter says, explain the parable to us. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus says, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Like, he's talking about pooping, okay? Like, let's just be honest. Like, you eat stuff, it goes out. Like, it is what it is, right? But the things that come out of the mouth, the things that come out this way from the mouth, come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Jesus is making it clear again 
that what comes out of a man's mouth is not what makes him, or what comes, it goes into a man's mouth is not what makes him unclean. Not what he eats, not what he drinks, what she wears, what music he listens to, how they spend their money, what kind of house they live in, what kind of vacations they take, like what kind of service projects they do or don't do, what clubs they're a part of at school. Jesus is saying that nothing external to a person is the issue. You understand that? Nothing external to the person is the issue. But what Jesus is saying is that there is a problem internally. Right? And I've seen this play out in so many ways, this external-internal divide where people try to deal with the external but miss the internal. We spent a year in Jordan and uh, women, a lot of the women would be required to be covered basically from head to toe, sometimes full face covering, sometimes gloves, all the way down, like no skin showing at all um, in an attempt to protect men from lusting, right? Like this is, this is the mentality. Deal with the external behavior to help deal with this, this lusting thing, this problem we have. And so there was this day where I watched a group of women cross the street and um, they were kind of loose women, okay, we'll say that. They didn't have their ankles covered, okay? And, and, and as they walked across the street, I watched a group of men standing there smoking the cigarettes follow every step of their ankles. They were still lusting after them, but like about their ankles, right? Like, like it, it, we try to deal with the external, but it doesn't deal with the internal. It doesn't fix the internal problem that we have. Paul says in Colossians 2, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But listen to this. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's saying you can do all these external things that's all going to go away, but it doesn't deal with the internal sensual things that we struggle with. Paul is saying what Jesus said. There is a problem internally with humanity. Furthermore, he's making it clear that there is, in fact, a standard that God holds to in his holiness. And guess what? No one meets it. He's saying no one meets it. Because let's be honest, if Jesus is saying that what makes a man unclean is, comes from within his heart and the stuff going on there, we're all in trouble. Right? He says something similar in that passage in Matthew 5 when he goes on through 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. He says, hateful thoughts, guilty of murder. Lustful thoughts, guilty of adultery. You think someone's an idiot? Guilty of slander. Do you hear what he's saying? The internal stuff is actually where the problem resides. So these are what make a man unclean, Jesus says. In one statement, Jesus undoes the religious legalism. says you can do all these external things and it doesn't have an effect. And he squashes the moral relativism of humanists. So if if the legalists are wrong in making rule after rule after rule and tradition upon tradition to hold to and attempt to make people holy, and the humanists are actually doing the same thing from a different angle, and all of us are actually jacked up because of our internal brokenness like hatred and lust and anger, then what do we do? External doesn't work. Moral relativism doesn't fix the problem. What do we do with this bad news that our heart is actually the problem, not our external behavior. Because I say this all the time, that our heart is what leads to behavior. 
What we believe leads to our behavior. This issue is internal, not external. Friends, here's the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel and the the picture of God that Jesus goes on to paint for us, starting with this text. God actually looks at our hearts, not at our external behaviors. He says, you've got a heart issue and I'm looking there for something. And he has sent a remedy for our sinful hearts. He sent something to purify us from the inside out. And his name is Jesus. God promises again and again to give us, what? A new heart. He promises to write the the regulations, the commandments on our hearts. To write the fullness of them on our hearts. Meaning it's no longer about keeping rule after rule after rule. To earn God's favor or to stop sin. God says Jesus is the one that fulfilled every law. He is the one that fulfilled every regulation. He is the one that has my favor. And when we look to him, he he dwells inside of us. And now we are made righteous in God's eyes. Jesus fulfilled every command, the fullness of which was to love God and to love others. And he fulfilled it on our behalf. And when we we call on him, this is why we tell kids to, to pray and ask Jesus into your heart. This is the idea here is that we're asking God to come into the center of our being and to dwell in us and that's where righteousness starts to come from. It's not an external thing that we're trying to regulate. It's not sin management. It's it's this internal thing that starts to come up from within inside of us because of the spirit. God puts the spirit inside of us into our minds and into our hearts and gives us the ability to then sense when we're going astray. To sense when we're doing things that aren't up to the standard of God's holiness. His standard that is summed up as love God and love others. The Spirit starts to give us the ability to see that. He convinces us from the inside out, slowly over time, that, that, yeah, I should pick holiness here. I should choose into this this standing that I have in God. It's called grace-motivated obedience. You'll hear me talk about this from time to time. It's motivated by grace leading to behaviors. For me, one of the things this means, practically speaking, is that we can pray, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we can look at the rest of the world and say, have mercy on them. Bunch of sinners like me. We're all broken in this together. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on them. We don't need to be these these rule-keeping churches that say, don't behave like that. Don't act like that. We need to hold to this. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on them. The Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians, Ephesians and Colossians says, he says something similar in all the, all the letters. He says it over and over again. He says, just like the Israelites were freed from their slavery in Egypt, he says, we are freed from our slavery to sin because we have union with Jesus. And it doesn't lead to a new set of rules and legalism to get God's favor. We have been called to become sons and daughters of God. To freedom we have been set free, Paul says. We have been freed from our slavery and now get to live out the law of God. We get to live out the law of loving others. Listen, because gospel people get accused of this, this doesn't just mean unbridled freedom to do whatever you want. Paul says everything is permissible, but it's not necessarily good. There's a life that we get called to live as sons and daughters of God for the sake of God, for the sake of others, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the community. It doesn't mean we just, you can do whatever you want, but it's not necessarily healthy. And as children of God, you can choose out of that and say, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want this anymore. No longer living 
in the ways of the world, but living in the spirit. We've been set free, so we live a life of love towards others, no longer living in the ways of the world with drunkenness and envy and fighting, he says. Friends, because of Jesus, because of what he has done, we get to live a certain way now. We get to pursue a standard of love and mercy, knowing that we are forgiven for the sins that reside so deep in our hearts. And we get to live lives of love and mercy to the world around us, knowing that all of us are broken and on this journey to holiness in God, one day at a time. And God knows that this doesn't come about through more and more legalism, more and more external behavior modification. It doesn't come about through unbridled tolerance either. It comes through the gospel that says that we are more sinful than we care to admit, but more loved than we will ever know. Can I say this? The gospel that saved us when we first received it and continues to save us every day. Christians for too long have have resided in the fact that, well, I'm saved. Now I'm good. Or I'm saved. Now I better behave this way. Paul says the gospel is saving us. Saving us, saving us every day, living in the grace of Jesus. When we believe the promises of God internally in our hearts, rather than depending on our own ability to keep rules externally, we start to live differently. I promise you this. When you start to believe this in your heart, it starts to come out of you in different ways. We don't need to make rules about envy and the things that we are jealous of and that we want because we believe, like Paul says, that my God will meet all of my needs according to the riches of his fullness in Christ Jesus. We don't need to make rules about modest clothing for women because when you believe you're a princess of God, you don't need to dress like a desperate woman. We don't need to make rules about alcohol because when you believe life in the spirit is better than drunkenness, you choose into sobriety. We don't need to make rules about what kind of music or TV a person should indulge in because our minds are controlled by Jesus, Paul says. We don't need to make rules about cursing and tempers when we believe that the gentle nature of Jesus is a better option. We don't need to make requirements and rules about serving others and when we should do it and how we should do it because the love of Christ compels us, Paul says. We don't need to make rules about church attendance or giving because being together is a celebration of freedom. It isn't compulsory. God doesn't want your external behavior modification, friends. He wants your heart. Sure, we can be like the Pharisees and have rule after rule and all this legalism and, and try to control our external behaviors or the behaviors of others, But what God wants for us is to respond to his grace and mercy with humility. To respond to it with submission. With mercy for ourselves and mercy for the world around us. And when we truly believe this, listen to this, when we truly believe that we have been shown grace and mercy by God and we rest in that, it turns into behaviors that are part of the full life that Jesus promised in the book of John. And when we believe the grace and mercy we've been shown by God, we can then in turn show that to the world around us rather than being a bunch of legalistic jerks, okay? Like, we don't need to do that. We can believe this on behalf of people and for people, believing that the gospel saves us and is saving us every day. Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, calls us holy, set apart, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. When we follow Jesus, we get to become children of God who get to now live out the full life. We get to live out the law of God because his power at work in us. We get to live out the law of love 
of loving God and loving others. And I'm telling you, friends, it will change you and it will change the world around us. Would you pray with me? Father, there, we know in our hearts that there is something broken in us. We know that there are times where we are just off, where we don't have it right. We know that we need holiness. We know that we, we want the full life that is found in you. But our habits typically are to make a whole bunch of rules for ourselves that we fail to keep and then we beat ourselves up. Or to say, whatever, I'm loved by Jesus, I can do whatever I want, and we don't even attempt it. Spirit, would you help us believe that we are called sons and daughters of God, and that we now get to live out the law of love, and and that is full life. Would you help us take steps this week of, of believing that a little bit more? Would you, by your Spirit, confirm that in our hearts? Help us experience your love in such a way that it influences our behavior how we love the people around us, how we forgive ourselves, how we forgive others, how we love our kids, how we love our coworkers, how we love our spouses, our friends. Would you help external behavior flow out of an internal state of mind and our hearts being at rest in you? God, I pray for our church that we would never be a place of legalism, but we would preach the gospel in all its fullness, that we are loved and that we have been given the mercy of God and we can have mercy on ourselves and on others because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand and sing with us? Friends, we gather here every week to remember Jesus to remember the gospel. And I just had this image in my mind of of Jesus who came into a dirty world, totally pure, and lived a pure life on our behalf, honoring God, honoring others, and the Pharisees killed him for it. He was laid into a tomb, but raised to new life, showing that his promises are true, that he is king over all things. And then I had this image in my mind, and maybe this is something that would help you this week as you go forward trying to, to move into a life of holiness. I had this image of, of Jesus, Paul says, now sitting at the right hand of the Father. I had this image of him looking at us and talking to the Father and saying, he's mine, she's mine, they're mine. That's my brother, that's my sister, and God's saying, yeah, that's my son, that's my daughter. We get to go live in the freedom of that, living the full life of holiness that God calls us to and becoming more and more like Jesus, growing closer and closer to the Father, understanding his heart more and more. That is a life of freedom because of our status as sons and daughters of God, because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Would you go and live in the fullness of being a son and daughter of God this week? I pray that it be in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.